Welcome, sports fans, to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your other favorite podcasts. If you like what they do, also remember to leave them a five-star review, and you can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don. Now let's get started. If you guys remember, I'm Nicole Thompson, and if you listened a few episodes back, I hosted episode 61 as well, and I'm back to do it again. So we have a lot to talk about today, and let's just jump right in. You guys ready? Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you for coming on again, Nicole. Always a always a treat. You're welcome. Yeah, I really don't want to do this to you, Nicole, because I know This is truly, truly your team. So I want to just go directly at you with this question. So we all know we have to talk about the World Series. Rays versus Dodgers. So the Dodgers won game six against the Rays by a score of three to one. Uh, They won the series four to two. So with that being said, the biggest question that I want to put out there, Nicole, I'm going to start with you, is for the Rays fans, do you blame – Kevin Cash for the loss by pulling Blake Snell after five and a third innings and two hits. Well, yes, this is the biggest heartbreak of 2020, perhaps. Um, My Rays have never been, well, they've been once before, but they've never won. And I thought this would be the time and it would be the one good thing that happened this year. And it just crumbled before my eyes, like everything else. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I would put a majority of the blame on him because you know he was pitching I think they said somewhere it was like his pitching line was like the best ever by a starter in a World Series game in history or something like that so I mean he was pitching so good it was only one to zero but I mean it's possible if they let him keep going like that could have been the, the final score one to zero so yeah, I think he should have left him alone and stopped messing with it, especially because Nick Anderson hasn't even been great the last few times, I didn't think. Um, and, I mean, I would put a little bit of the blame on the offense just because, you know, you can't have a home run in the first inning and then expect to win the game off of that. You need to to put up more runs. Um, I think they said there was, like, 26 outs in a row is how it ended, but – um, I mean, yeah, like I said, it could have ended one to zero, but that's highly unlikely. So I would put majority of the blame on cash. Yeah. Because that was just stupid in my opinion, but <laughs> you know, other people could have stepped up to where if the, you know, the Dodgers got two runs, um, it didn't make us lose. So, you know, it's everyone's fault kind of. Right. Uh, first, my condolences, Nicole. I know how big of a race fan you are. I should have started this show off with that. Uh, I, I think you're on to something there. I, I think that move did change the game. Uh, as you heard, yeah. as you heard after the game, how relieved the Dodger players were. Like they literally came out and said it. Once we saw that move, we took a uh, like a big yeah, sigh. like we were pumped. Right, we we took a big sigh of relief because we knew he was on. And they didn't know if they were going to get a run. Like like Nicole said, it could have ended up one nothing. So, and further to what Nicole was saying, this isn't the first time this postseason where this has happened to the Rays. A starter was 
was mowing down guys. They pull them. All of a sudden, a lead becomes a deficit, and they lose the game in the playoffs. And I think Kevin Cash knew all along that after two times through the lineup, he was going to pull Snell, even though he mentioned that he didn't have a set game plan. I don't know, Nicole, if you heard that, but he said he didn't have a set game plan, but I don't believe him. I I think there was a set game plan. Now, this is where I want to totally rip him is that I think this was more than likely coming from upstairs meaning from the top of the organization, the executives and or general manager, because nowadays the executives and managers um, are using the analytics. So they, I think that was part of their game plan. And managers are looking for reasons to pull guys instead of reasons to keep guys in. And this was kind of like that perfect storm happened to be game six, their ace against the Dodgers. You only score one run. You're up one nothing analytics come into play guys upstairs are probably making the call and Kevin Cash has to basically obey those calls so I won't rip him totally because I don't know if it was his decision alone well you're the manager in the World Series I'm gonna say it's your decision I know you're gonna play fair enough you're gonna play the corporate card Fair, fair enough but you're the guy this is what they pay you to do to make these tough decisions and I agree with Nicole it's one to me it's 100% Cash's fault and he got too cute trying to to Donato what you said the analytics and that's what all sports guys are going with nowadays and as soon as they made that move I was like let me go on uh, social media and let me see how everybody's reacting to it everyone basically said what you guys said as soon as he made that move and pulled Snell everyone knew it was over they're like why would you pull this guy what he had like nine strikeouts uh on 75 75 pitches I'm sorry go ahead well I was just gonna say and the those three guys that were up to bat for the Dodgers that they pulled him for, he had struck them all out the first two times he saw them around. So, I mean, even if you're going by analytics, like shouldn't that be a reason to leave him in or, or do you just think we already struck them all out like (laughs) twice? We can't possibly do it again. I don't know. Exactly. And it was just, it was a bad call. I think he knew it. And of course he's going to double down in the post game interview saying that I knew I was going to do that. Um, this I stand by that decision, but uh, reality, you cost your team a World Series, and you have to take responsibility for that. Guy's a Cy Young guy. He's a bull. He's cooking. You got to let him just just go through with it and just take it how it goes because this is game seven for you guys. Basically, there is no tomorrow. Right. You lose, and that's exactly what and happened. And he was pissed himself. Like It's not like he wanted to come out. So Oh, yeah. He was pissed on the mound. You can just see it on his face. Ah, so... To say the least, it was an emotional day in uh, in my house when this <laughs> happened. So I know you're not going to want to talk about the other side, but I got to ask you some questions about the Dodgers. So a guy that I've been very critical about over and over again, Clayton Kershaw, finally got the ring, finally got the monkey off his back. Does this change his legacy? Don, I'm going to go to you. Well, nowadays people, in particular Michael Jordan fans, they judge on rings, and he now has one. However, I don't think it erases the years of struggles, the years of struggles in the postseason. So you giving him the the White Howard treatment, basically? Not quite to that extent. Because I feel like that's that's the same argument you made last week. No, 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 not quite to that extent, because Kershaw was way more of – Consistent. um, of a contributor 
to this ring than Dwight Howard was for the Lakers by far, by far. All I'm saying is I don't really know if it changes his legacy, but what I do know is I don't think it erases his struggles because answer this question, JT, yes or no. Was he the MVP of, of the world series? No. Okay. And so it's not like he was lights out in the postseason, lights out in the world series that he carried the team. Right. Then I would say, I, I would say that erases his prior struggles, but he was based. If his name wasn't Clayton Kershaw, he wouldn't have stood out. Like we wouldn't be talking about his performance that, Oh, was, like he was a huge reason why they won. Was he a part of it? Sure. But I don't think he was a huge reason of why they won. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. Still one of the greatest pitcher, pitchers of all time, and the ring does help. But in my opinion, it doesn't completely change the narrative or his legacy just because now he has a ring at the age of, you know, 32. Had he done this at 28 and been the World Series MVP, I think you got to admit, both of you, we would be looking at Kershaw as maybe the greatest of all time besides just being an all-time great. I would say I'll go real quick and then I'll let Nicole go because I want her to convince me that it matters, that this is going to, it's not going to affect his legacy. It's a no for me. And you know how critical I've been about him. And I know it's kind of like the sort of like the Dwight Howard thing, but like the Michael Jordan was a great example because it's all about rings. So it's, you know, he finally has one now. So now people are just going to forget about all those other times where he cost them opportunities to get multiple championships. So you're right. He didn't really stand out in this series. Funny thing was the game before, or well, was it was a game was a game four where they had the epic comeback, yeah, where they had four. that big, big, big mistake. Where I thought that flipped the series, in my opinion. I thought the Dodgers were done because I was sure it was going to go seven after that. But you just saw the look on Kershaw's face when they lost that game in that fashion, and I I immediately told Nicole, I said, you know what. This is advantage raised because Clayton Kershaw just thought to himself, crap, now I have to go out there and pitch an important game that's going to really matter to this series. Instead of going out, if they would have won that game before, he would have gone out up 3-1 and there would have been no pressure on him to win that game. So I don't. he didn't really prove anything to me because if anything, I felt like they got lucky. They didn't have to rely on him to win this series. And he just happened to get a ring out of it. Nicole, prove me wrong that this changes his legacy. Well, I'm not going to advocate for him. Sorry. <laughs> but I know I agree with, you, with, with what you guys were saying. I think that, I think Donato said, like, if, if we didn't know his name, we wouldn't have looked at him. Like, it's, it's not like he was the Arena of the Dodgers. Like he, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, he did so much. And it's all, it's all because of his contribution is a major reason they won. It's really not like he did his part and he did a good job in most of his moments. But, um, you know, I don't think it's enough, like you said, to, to forgive all the times he didn't do good. That's kind of like, average like you win some you lose some if if you're an if you're the all-time great you you don't have any bad years yeah that's true well let's take a little bit of a more serious approach because i mean we all can agree this world series was just full of fireworks it was very enjoyable but yeah. i think what ultimately might have stolen the show was justin turner for the dodgers being pulled in the game 
in the eighth inning due to a positive COVID test. So, I mean, I thought that whole situation was insane. What are your thoughts on the whole situation of him, them not catching the test before the game and him actually being pulled during the game for that? Nicole, I'll go to you. Well, what I understood, although I guess who whoever really knows the truth, but what I read was that um, they had, like, I guess they take samples from them every day and then whenever they go to the lab and process. So I guess they said his Monday, every, I guess the whole team's Monday samples were processing and his came back inconclusive. And in that case, they go say, okay, let's grab the Tuesday sample. And so at that point, apparently like MLB or whoever higher up was informed, but the Dodgers didn't know, so they say. And then they ran his Tuesday sample and then um, that came back positive. And then that's when they immediately called them and that's when it was in the eighth inning. So I don't know if that's true because it seems a little weird that like, you wouldn't at least call them when it's inconclusive and, you know, say, Hey, maybe keep them on the bench. Like we need to find out or um, I don't even, to be honest, I don't know if you're the MLB, I thought you would have like first priority at these labs. So I don't know why your Monday samples are only giving you results Tuesday nights. Like I think I've gotten COVID results faster than that. So it's all a little weird, but um how did you not have better control over this MLB? Well, I think it, that's the thing is because if you're testing someone on a Monday, which okay is an off day, why don't you have the results? There's there's instant tests people take for all these um, shows that are running like on set and filming. They give you results in 15 minutes. So why are you doing a test Monday and you're not getting the results till after you already congregate with everyone else? And it's not even like you're at a workout with your team. You're with the whole other team. And then I, I don't know, I watch them and I, I see most of them have masks in the dugout, but it seems kind of, I don't know if it's just like to put on a front, like a good example for everyone who's watching at home, because like, you know, it's a baseball thing to like spit on the ground. And I see they always pull their mask down and spit on the ground. And I'm like, this is so pointless. Like you're spitting your droplets into the air that the mask is supposed to be like preventing this. So I don't know. To me, if he's on the field and even if he's not, if he's in the dugout with his teammates and they're not all, you know, totally apart and masked up, all of them are a risk. And I know that um, whoever it was that had cancer is in there, um, you know, and just older people that could be high risk. So I think it's just it's really strange. Um, but also the whole thing about afterward where he couldn't come out to celebrate. I guess for the TV portion, maybe. But then they said like an hour later, he came and he was in the group picture. And I think he was even next to the guy and they both didn't have a mask. So it just seems really careless. And I mean, I I, I don't know. But if I was like, I'm surprised nobody said anything to him. Like the other teammates, I wonder if they were informed of it because if he came and, you know, if he, if he went up to one of you guys and you just won, maybe the adrenaline's rushing so much and you don't think of it, but if he came and stood next to you and just put his hand around you and you know that just happened, like, would you be so hyped that you got the trophy that you didn't care? Or would you be like, well, bro, get off me, what are you yeah, doing? Well, well, I think that's the thing. I think there's conflicting reports on Major League Baseball not doing enough to prevent him from going out and supposedly he was going to go out no matter what. And that's where I'm glad you kind of brought us to that, Nicole, because that's where I wanted to pick up 
because I think it's just a bad look all around. I mean, from MLB to the Dodgers organization to the executives and then to Justin Turner. So let me start with yeah, Justin Turner. Let me, let me start with Justin Turner. Like the optics are bad for him because to me, the way I look at it, and I, and I know a lot of people don't look at it this way, but sports is supposed to be a team game. And we always say, oh, that player's being selfish. Well, guess what? Whether it's on or off the field, he was being selfish there because he not only is, you know, trying to, to do it for himself, coming back out and celebrating, but he's putting others in harm's way because of that now. Whether those people don't mind it or not, there's obviously going to be some people, like you said, Nicole, if he's right next to me, I'm like, why is he out? Like, why is he out here? I understand he's part of the team, but we're in a different time right now where certain things just don't fly and not wearing a mask or knowing you're positive and still coming out to celebrate. And when we think of celebrations, we're not socially distancing. Let, let's, let's face the, the truth. Like, we're not socially distancing in a celebration. So now he's putting others at risk. The, the MLB part of it and the team, they should have done way more. To, basically, I thought they should have sent him to quarantine right away once it came back positive. Or to test again and see if it comes back, like you said, Nicole, a rapid test to see if it comes back as a false positive. So MLB did a terrible job because I guarantee you, if he was ejected from the game, and he was like, oh, it's the ninth inning. I'm going to be here to jump out of the dugout to rush the pitcher. They would be like, no, you need to go in the clubhouse. You may not stay in the dugout. You've been ejected by the ref for arguing balls and strikes. So why is this any different? Like he should have been sent away to quarantine and not been allowed back no matter how bad he wanted to come on. And do I feel for him not being able to, able to celebrate? Sure, because I don't know how he got the virus, whether it was his fault or not. But you know what? That just happens to be the truth is that he did have a positive test. And I'm sorry, but you can't take that chance of getting others infected. Yeah, you two make very, very good points. I'll just keep it short. I just want to know how does someone get a positive COVID test in a bubble situation? Because there's this frequent testing. So that's the whole point of being in the bubble is that you're closed away from the outside world. So I don't understand how that happens. Also, Nicole, to your point, I don't understand how they don't know everyone's negative before you take the field. I just don't get that. Like you need- Well, and like, um, I watch Dancing with the Stars and I see them, they test them every day. They have to get it in by like two o'clock and then they tell them by like four o'clock if, if it's good and they can be on the show. So what's with the delay? Yeah, so this kind of goes to, I, I think I've voiced this on the show for other other sports. I just don't think these major sports leagues really are testing as thoroughly for COVID as they, like you said, Nicole optics, we already know the NFL is not handling this well. They're just throwing guys out there and hoping, you know, hopefully he doesn't test positive today. Cause if he tests positive Tuesday, then, you know, it's not a thing. So I think MLB got caught, you know, with their hands in the cookie jar, whatever you want to call it. And it really showed that they probably weren't as stringent on the testing as they led us to believe. Yeah. And like you said about the bubble, I mean, I, I, as I understand, like they're able to have their immediate family with them. So it's like, you're telling me that you guys are all in this hotel and nobody's like even going downstairs to the front desk to ask a question or anything like, eh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. 
but I mean, I, another thought too I had just to finish it was I agree that he shouldn't have gone out, but like technically if he just had to be in the photo or something or celebrate, like he could have, you know, they have them all set up and then he could have sat like 30 feet in front of them, but he'd still be in the photo or like, you know, they, they're all running around. He could have like celebrated in, in his own little corner out and right. Field, uh, they, but... they could have Photoshopped them in. That's different. Yeah, exactly. They could have, yeah, he doesn't yeah, need to be right. out there. They could have Photoshopped that. Maybe, maybe they'll claim that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, should I bring us over then to our next topic, yes, which is let's... Penn State and Indiana? So the Big Ten started playing this past Saturday, and the most exciting game, or at least the ending was exciting, was the Penn State at Indiana game. So the Hoosiers pulled off the upset with a thirty-three, or sorry, thirty-six, thirty-five victory in overtime on a controversial call by the refs on an unbelievable two-point conversion by Hoosiers quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Do you guys think that the refs got it correct? Uh, Donato, what do you think? Yes, I, I do think they did. Um, and I got to give a shout-out, JT, to, to our guy, um, one of our college football experts, college football historian too, Bob Gentile, because he sent me a photo of what he thinks happened to where the ball – diagonally may have crossed the goal line first, then hit out of bounds in the pylon at the same time. And it looked like physics-wise, it is possible. So that's one on the actual call. But then two, it was such a bang-bang play, JT. One, Penix made such an unbelievable play. It's so hard to then reverse that call, and especially when it wasn't conclusive. So the call on the field maybe isn't confirmed, but it has to stand and I don't see in any way in any of those replays how they reverse that call with enough conclusive evidence. So the call stood. It should have stood. They got it right. Yeah, Don, I agree with you. And that's always the thing that people forget. When you call something a certain way on the field, that whole conclusive evidence to overturn it, that's a major thing. So, yeah, if they called it a touchdown, I mean a two-point and it was good, it he – it was going to have to be like major, major evidence to say otherwise. But yeah, I do think they got it right. Like regardless of that. Okay. And then let me ask you this. <laughs> what do you think was the better ending? Uh, the way this game ended or game four of the world series? We just keep bringing up the world series. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole. Yeah, you so good. That, that is... Honestly, that was like the best. I don't know. That might have been the best race game I ever watched. The ending of that, I was like doing laps around my living room screaming. You cannot shoot me. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, I'm going to say the craziest was the game four, but if we're talking better, I've got to go Penn State, Indiana, because I felt like the Dodgers kind of booted that game and kind of made multiple errors on the last play. And so the better ending was Michael Penix with an unbelievable reach again. Plus it was an upset on the last play of the game, no matter what happened, because if the ball isn't booted by the Dodgers there, there's a chance it goes into extra innings anyway. Whereas in the Indiana Penn state game, that was it last play. No matter what happens, we're going home win or lose, but we're going home after this one. And Penix just with a great play. Then you've got the controversy with the officiating you have kind of the suspense of the review. 
So I'm going to go Penn State, Indiana as the better ending. I got to disagree with you on this one. Maybe I'm still prisoner of the moment. And maybe I think because, you are. I think yeah, <laughs> Maybe in our house, just so many crazy things were going on when that play happened. You know, I'm still in shock. But here's the thing. That's probably game four, that finish between the Rays and the Dodgers is probably the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that. Would and you say it was just like more shocking? It was. And it's and I know they I don't know if they have this for baseball, but they have this for football all the time. I want to see the next gen stats on what was the like the win probability before that whole series of events happened that the Dodgers, uh, all those errors they made. Because you think about what was exciting about that is not just, like you said, they booted it. It's how they did it. Two plays that are normally routine in those situations were were just errors. The outfield drop, that usually never happens. Then they throw it home. I think the I, – I don't know if this is true, but when I was watching that game, I think the catcher thought he could just tag home, and he tried to sweep it – before or as arena got there and because he did that he lost the ball but not realizing that he should have uh entered into a chase down and chased them back between third base and it was just you know just such an epic meltdown by the dodgers i'm like here they go clayton kershaw has rubbed off on the rest of the team this is where the series turns but that whole situation was just insane i mean my parents called me I didn't even know they were up this late. They never stay up this late. <laughs> they're, they're like, did you see this game? I'm like, what are you guys doing up? I hear my mom in the background screaming. It was just insane. That Definitely that play was better. Okay, okay. Well, I got to agree. I mean, I didn't even see the other one, but I would still agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's no fair. No fair. No, exactly. Biased. You're biased. <laughs> I think you're right, though. To me, it was just so epic because of – like, you know, when you like one team a lot, you really want the other one to have their demise, even though it's funny because I run every single day in a Dodgers hat. And then now I'm like, oh, my God, throw this in the fire. <laughs> what are but, you um, doing? Just to see them fump, like fumble so bad. I'm like, yes, victory. But anyway, that was the only victory. Um, OK, so next let's go to Brian Greasy and Nick Foles. So. Brian Greasy, who was in the announcing booth for Monday night's game between the Bears and the Rams, said that Nick Foles told him that Nagy calls plays that he doesn't have enough time in the pocket for and that Nagy is not the one back there in the pocket. So, Jimmy, do you believe Foles said that? And even if it's true, should Grease have said, Greasy have said it? Don, you really want her to go to me with this question? Because she's talking about basically what she's asking is, is Matt Nagy incompetent? I want, want, I, I want to hear what you got to say. We want to know what – forget Nagy. We know how you feel about Nagy. Answer the question, JT. Answer the question. Should he have, should he have said it? Do you believe it, it? Do you believe it? And it's should true. he have said it, even if it's true? Come well, on. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to answer the short question first. Should he have said it? Hell yes, because he is the one back there getting tattooed every you just, play. Because you just wanted to prove your point. That's no, all. that Chicago Bears offensive line is terrible. So, yes, he's back there getting hit. And Nick Foles isn't exactly the most athletic quarterback. So it's not like he's scrambling <laughs> to avoid pressure. So every time Aaron Donald's trying to sit on you, he's feeling it. So I definitely think he should have said it because you can't say it to your coach. So you might as well say it to Brian Greasy because he's a big mouth announcer and the whole world would know we lost this game because the coach was bad, not because of my bad play. That's the first thing. Now, do I believe that's what's happening? Absolutely. And you know, 
going back, I feel like this is what, two years, two and a half years now? I've said Matt Nagy is the most overrated coach in the NFL because he is not a good offensive play caller. And every one of those Chicago teams that he has coached, they have regressed. And it's obvious. Nick Foles, I don't know why they brought him there. He's not a good fit. They don't have enough weapons up front on the line and in the offense period to support a guy like Foles at quarterback. And it does seem like the team, like everything the Bears do is really slow developing. Like every play seems like it's got to be 30 yards down downfield and they don't have that kind of blocking time. Also, I don't know if you noticed in that game, I noticed it. He said something else about um, not only was the play calling not enough time for him to, to actually execute it, but he was like, the pace of the offense isn't as fast as he thinks it needs to be. And I saw in that game, like they were down, what, 24-3 at one point? And it was, I think it was really, really early in the fourth quarter. And they still had an opportunity to kind of get back in it. And you can see Foles is, you know, trying to hurry up the pace and hurry him back to the line. And the Bears players just aren't moving. And I don't think that they're on the same page. It just seems like a slow, dreadful offense. And I think it starts with the coach. He was absolutely right to say this. I knew we shouldn't have asked this question. You went off on a tangent that had literally nothing to do with the question. You just, you just and talked you still, about and you you still talked about Indiana game and our, shout out, shout out to our historian. But you're throwing in old facts. I can talk about Matt Nagy and Byron. Oh, we're talking about games from Saturday. Anyway, let me let me just answer the question for you, Nicole, because that's what JT does. He never pays attention to the to the script in the production meetings I don't he do does whatever this. he wants but again you know it's JT we we allow that everyone's favorite so do I believe full said that I do why would greasy make it up or lie I mean it had to come from somewhere there's some truth there um plus JT one thing you were right on it is true he doesn't have enough time back there and Foles is not the most athletic guy so it is true whether he should have said it I, one can argue greasy was only doing his job uh, but either Foles has to know Greasy better or Greasy has to think long-term because now guys are very hesitant going into a Monday night game willing to open up to Greasy and say stuff because they know he's going to put them on blast on national television. Man, if his and- last name is Greasy, I ain't telling him nothing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds personal, even though Bob Greasy won you guys a Super Bowl in Miami, your last one, but it looks like that was too too long ago. So – the other thing is, I don't know if Foles kind of said, hey, this is off the record or not, or if there's an understanding between quarterbacks, like, hey, whenever I bash a coach, you know not to repeat that because you were once a quarterback. What happened so, to an anonymous? Like, could he, could he have <laughs> phrased it so you didn't know it was well, Nick Foles? Okay, you knew it was going to be Nick Foles, though. There's only so many saying, guys. Like, player, he could have said something like, players complain about slow-moving offense, not having time to do plays. Look, up? Come on, man. There's a better way you can spin it to where you're not snitching on the guy. It's like, well, the guy who receives the ball from the center said, like, then we know it's him. Who else was it going to be? The the, the guard? Jimmy Graham. No, no, it wasn't. No. Nicole, please move on to the next. If not, he's going to go on a tangent again about about that. All right. All right. So, So let's talk about Michael Thomas. He has not played since hurting his ankle in week one, and a hamstring injury was added to his list of bumps and bruises last week earlier in the season he received a one game suspension following a fight with teammate cj gardner johnson 
Recently, conflicting reports are that Thomas's agent has tried to pressure the Saints into dealing Thomas. Uh, Donato, do you think the Saints made a mistake by signing him to a big deal? It's looking like yes. Um, but I, again, I, I think they had no choice because of Breeze going into those last year. They couldn't afford Michael Thomas possibly holding out. Um, and eventually someone was going to pay him. So they almost had no option there. And on the back end now, listen, he still has a lot of trade value, more so than Odell Beckham did when the Giants got rid of him for a first-round pick. So I don't think it was necessarily a mistake. Uh, but the thing is, it would have been if they knew that he had these tendencies already, JT, like if he was – kind of being that diva receiver if he was not getting along with with his teammates or if teammates weren't rallying around him then I would say yes maybe maybe it was so did the Saints make a mistake by signing him to a big deal here's the thing when we I remember when he first signed this deal we had this big thing it was me versus you and basically all of bad medicine podcast and I feel like the consensus was Thomas was worth it and my one thing was he is he is he is but here's the one I, I don't know if you remember that show but the one thing I said about Michael Thomas was I don't I agree he's a good player but I'm always hesitant to sign receivers to these kind of deals when they don't make the quarterback exponentially better like because they're just such a freakishly gifted athlete and I I don't know if you heard this but a part of the reason why he got into it with teammate uh, with Gardner Johnson was apparently called him a slot receiver, which I guess in the world of football and your wide receiver, that's like the ultimate disrespect. But to be honest, that's basically what he's been. They call him slant Thomas for a reason. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard to run five yards knowing a linebacker is going to pop you for 141 catches a year. Like that's, that's no easy feat, but Wes Welker could do that too if we're being honest and Wes Welker's not getting paid 90 million dollars so I was hesitant about it then I gave the Saints the benefit of the doubt because I thought it was a good fit with what they were trying to do but if he's doing all this all these problems I don't I don't see how you say it's a good deal because we're going to get to the next part but it doesn't seem like he's going to be there for very long it's funny how and, – and, Nicole, then you can ask the next question. It's funny how you can say that about Thomas, who's been productive, still has many years ahead of him. But as soon as I say that about running backs, you criticize me for it. I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. So on, on to the next question. No response, JT. On to the next question. There's no response there. Well, this is a follow-up. Do you think that he will be traded, and if so, to where? No, even though I did mention you can always trade him, I meant like after the season. I don't think they trade him this season or right now. Breeze probably would not allow him to do that. JT always talks about how Tom Brady got AB to Tampa. Well, Breeze is going to make sure Thomas doesn't leave before he does. Yeah, this is last ride. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they can trade him just because I don't know who's going to take on that contract with all the rumors of the off-field issues that he's having. Someone like he will. Yeah. They did it with he, AB, JT. Some yeah, but, but back to my point, AB is a is a guy that because he's a freakishly gifted athlete, like he's he extends your career and makes you look better than Michael you really Thomas are. is not ben, a freakish ben, athlete? 
here's the thing. You you've talked to some Saints fans. They don't they don't think he can play a role outside of what he's been whoa, doing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, fans or executives? Who who did you talk to? Because there's a, those are well, two I didn't talk to Loomis, but I talked okay. to Saints fans. Okay, then well, <laughs> well, well. like executives are never wrong, but I, I agree with you. I don't think he gets traded because I think they're all they're still all in on winning this Super Bowl this year, and it could be Drew Brees' last year. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm going to disagree with you about the whole executive thing. I also think the reason he's not going to be traded is I don't think the league views him as an elite game changer. Mm-hmm. Someone will. Someone will. Okay, well, let's uh, go over to the NFL trade deadline. So the deadline is on this upcoming Tuesday, and there could be some moves that are made or should be made. Jimmy, what are three big or important moves that you think need to be made in the NFL? Um well, I'll just go with the obvious one. I think the Packers should be all in on getting more weapons for Aaron Rodgers. It's clear this team has got a special shot this year. Um, the big rumor out there is that they're going to go after the Texas wide receiver, Wolf Fuller. Uh, I think that's a real possibility that gets done. Another move I think needs to be made is now that Bill O'Brien is gone, I think the Texans need to do everything they can to get all that draft capital, or at least some of it back that they lost. So, I know they brought in some guys, but they need to purge themselves of those individuals too. So that means you got to find somebody to take David Johnson's crappy contract. You got to find somebody to take old Randall Cobb. Will Fuller's got to leave town. And you basically got to decide whether it's worth it to play Deshaun Watson because you are officially tanking for some help. They got to move on and they got to rebuild for next year. And I think um, the third big or important move that needs to be done is I think, and this is fairly new, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars need to really decide what they're going to do with their quarterback situation because they're at a dangerous place where there's another team in their division, the Texans, that aren't as, they're not good either. So they, the Jags need a quarterback more than the Texans do. So there's rumors about benching Gardner Minshew, but also the coach is trying to keep his job and not get fired. So I don't know what's going on, but I think they need to make a decision on, are you going to continue to give give away pieces so you're absolutely guaranteed to lose? Or do you let the coach coach for his job and you play Minshew and just see what happens? Well, the, my first two moves are basically all in one, but they'll count as two for the sake of time, JT. The Patriots, the season's not lost. Go get Cam some weapons. Cam, I don't believe, is totally done yet. But he needs weapons. We just found out on Thursday that Julian Edelman had some knee surgery, plans to be back before the end of the year. The season's not lost for the Patriots. They're still in the AFC East. Buffalo, I don't think – I've been telling you this. I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks. Yes, the Dolphins are in the mix. But, again, are the Dolphins going to go 13-3? and No. And then you still got the Jets at the bottom. Make some moves. One, go get Julio. All right? Cam needs that receiver on the outside. And then two, this this is a little bit of a sneaky one. I don't know what you have to give up for him, but his value is low. JT always taught me in fantasy, buy low and sell your guy high. (laughs) So the guy to buy low here, JT, in real football, Zach Ertz. He's out of Philly. Yes, he's injured right now, but New England, go get that tight end. You love tight ends. Now you got Julio and Ertz working with, with cam the thing is i don't know how the contracts work and the salary cap work but figure it out that's why you got a salary cap guy right so go get julio go get Ertz. even if you have to give up a a third round or a second and a third combined for those guys and then jt 
I don't know if you'll appreciate this one. The Dallas Cowboys season's not over, even though I said they're not going to make the playoffs. But while they're still in the mix, see what you can do. Go trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick. He wants to start again. He showed he's capable of doing it. And the Dolphins are going with Tua. Why not trade a sixth-round pick for him? Nah, bring him man. in. He can do a little better than Dalton. He's a gunslinger. That's what you need right now as a cowboy. Now I want to see what the Danucci kid has. I'm, I'm all in on him. That What, Jalen Smith just came out today and said the kid's got it. I want to see what Danucci has. Say that last name again. Sounds Danucci. good. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Thank okay. Uh, Donato, let me ask you. We're almost halfway into the NFL season, and – there's so many stars in the NFL, especially a lot of quarterbacks. Who are your top five QBs right now? JT, I'm glad you threw this this on there. I think it's a good time to talk about QBs. And I know this, this was one of your topics, and I was looking forward to it. JT, how do you want me to do this? Five to one? Because this yeah, list, let's do five this, to one. We'll this list is amazing. Why you don't we go? You want to do five and then I'll do five? Sounds good. Sounds right. good. We should have figured that out prior to the show, but always good to do it on air. So, number five, I got Aaron Rodgers. I think he still has it. He's still top five. Interesting. Number five, I have Kyler Murray. Ooh, okay. He was. I, I didn't know where to place him. He didn't make my top five, but I like it. Uh, number four, I'm still going to put Dak there. I know he's injured, but I'm putting Dak. If you're telling me this season who's the top five QBs, I still think he's a top five QB. Uh, so, I got Dak at number four. I see what you did there. I just went the route of who's actually playing. So Understood. no doubt about it, if Dak was playing, he'd be in my top five. But number four, I have to go with Tom Brady. He's showing that he can get a little bit higher, but I want to see how this whole A-B kind of affects the team. But he could be my number one at the end of the season. Okay. Okay. He was another one. I mean, there's so many to choose from. Number three, maybe a reach here, but he doesn't have many weapons, and he's got the talent. He's got the will to win. Deshaun Watson, number three. Mm, interesting. Uh, three, I'm putting Aaron Rodgers just because I think he's low-key having one of his best years. And you heard this before the season. Everybody's saying he's on this revenge tour and he could win the MVP. I wasn't buying it. I think he low-key is kind of doing it. He won't win the MVP, Ooh. but he's damn sure playing like it. Ooh. This guy criticized, thought Rodgers was done, and he's coming back. But I appreciate how you can – you know, own up to, to your, your mistakes. Oh, just move on. I've already said I was wrong about Rodgers multiple <laughs> times this year. Just go. All right. Number two, Patrick Mahomes. All right. We both got Mahomes at number two, So, which means I know who your number one is. Let Russ cook, baby. I was very hesitant to put him at number one after he, he had a terrible clutch moment at the end of the Arizona game on multiple occasions. And I was like, uh... I told you, I said, I think that game in that moment cost him the MVP because the team's not very good and he needs to be above that. But I can't put Patrick Mahomes over him because I feel like he's kind of having a down year too. I, I, I think it's hard to lose the MVP award in week six if you're having that good of a year anyway. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that he had the bad moment. It's the way it happened in that game against that quarterback, against but, that team. What? Ten weeks it, from now, we're not fault, gonna, and it was his fault that they lost. Ten weeks, we're not going to remember that from now if they end up beating the Cardinals in Seattle, right? So that that's the way I look at it. The other thing is, listen, I think Mahomes is eventually going to be number one, but right now, I think if you put, can you imagine putting Russ on that Chiefs team? That's why I put Russ number one because I think you put him on that Chiefs team, 
He may even be better than what Russ is doing now, which is hard to imagine. Interesting enough, JT, I didn't know where to put Lamar Jackson here because, like I said, there's so many good quarterbacks. And he's – okay, so here's – and we'll move on. This is what I struggle with with this list. One, Lamar Jackson, I was for sure saying that I wasn't going to put him on this because he's he's been struggling, and I don't think people are noticing how much he's struggling this year. He's struggling as a passer, and he's not running as much, which is weird, which I think that's what made him an MVP. Second, I was really hesitant to put Mahomes in the top three, but I didn't want to seem like an idiot to people that are listening to us. But if you if you watch their games, he has not been that sharp this year. And I think part of it is I didn't understand this until two games ago. I just think defenses are playing the Chiefs different this year. What they're doing is they're backing everybody up and they're basically saying, we're not going to give you the long ball. We'll let you have all the short stuff. If Mahomes isn't hitting 90-yard bombs to Tyreek Hill 12 times a year, I'm sorry, he's not the same guy. That's what makes him special. But, yeah, I agree with you on Lamar. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, let's talk about this. Last Sunday night when DK Metcalf chased down Buda Baker of the Arizona Cardinals in what was an amazing play and an amazing hustle play by DK. Uh, begs the question, who is the most freakish athlete in the NFL at any position, Jimmy? This is so tough because there's just like DK Metcalf himself is a freak. I mean, 6'4", 230, 0.5% body fat, runs a 4'3". I mean, that's built in a lab. But if you want to talk about just I, we're asking who's the freak of the freaks. I got you. Got to go with Aaron Donald. Oh, you took my. You got to. And I, I was trying to find every way not to make him the guy to pick. But then I'm like, the dude is 300 pounds with a six pack. Like, if that's not a freak, I don't know what this. What is? He's the strongest guy on the field, the shortest guy on the field at the position, and he's he's just unreal. Like, I don't understand that. He's got to be the freakiest athlete in the NFL. I'm I'm gonna agree. I had it written down. I'm gonna agree. Um, five years ago, I would have said Cam Newton. Nowadays, it's Aaron Donald. Uh, maybe honorable mention to like an A.J. Brown maybe with D.K.? AK, A.J. is, you think, a freakier athlete than D.K.? No, but that's what I'm saying, honorable mention. But it's probably still D.K. in front of A.J. Brown. But uh, uh, let's go Aaron Donald. Let's move on. Let's not waste any time because it seems like Honorable clear- mention is Tyreek Hill is my number two. Okay. Okay, so next topic. The Michigan Wolverines won an opener in a big way, defeating the Minnesota Golden Gophers 49-24. to So a real quick answer, yes or no, is this the year that Jim Harbaugh defeats Ohio State, Donato? No. Oh, sorry, Jim, no. Jimmy, whoever wants I, to go first. I'm going to go first. Okay. No. Nope, not the year. Well, here's the question, Donato. And then she I said know real you- quick. She said real quick. What don't you get? Well, here's the thing. If Jim Hallbar is not favored in the game, I'm going to say no, because if Vegas says he's going to lose, he's lost every one of those games. Now go talk about Bo Jackson. because I know that's what you really want to talk about. Yeah. Nicole, before we get to the week eight NFL preview, you know, we were talking about freakish athletes. Well, Bo Jackson was certainly that in his prime. So, you know, JT, you actually mentioned this to me, that Bo said during an appearance on uh, Deion Sanders' uh, 21st in prime podcast this past Monday that if he played in this era, he would be averaging 350 to 400 yards a game because nobody wraps up 
when they tackle and they just run into each other with their shoulder pads. Now, JT, do you agree with that comment he made? Are you seriously asking me this question? You wanted to ask it. Hell no. That is the definition of cap talk right there. Sorry, Bo, but you're tripping. No way. And you know what? I'm sick of these old-time athletes being like, oh, in my day, we would have did this and that. And we, we ran 500 miles to school and back, and we didn't complain. Shut up. There's no way. You couldn't do it in your own day. So what makes you think you can do it now when the athletes on defense are bigger, faster, stronger, and the coaching is more dynamic and more focused? No. You might be one of the top all-purpose guys in the league. Ain't no way you averaging 300 to 450 yards total yards per game for all 16. Ain't did, happening. You, did you just tell Bo Jackson to shut up? Oh my! I did. I'm saying away from you. Might get, you might get struck by lightning for I that. I hope he hears the show. And Bo, you could call me about it, and I'll take your call anytime, and I appreciate it. Bo, come on the show. I will defend you, and we'll, we'll go. We'll go after JT on that. Um, okay, so I got to break that into two parts. Obviously, no. I don't agree with him averaging 350 to 400 yards. That's insane. He played today probably around 150 to 160 a game, all-purpose yards. I will give him that for sure. I think he would easily get that. But I think he could be Le'Veon Bell. One thing I will agree with, with him on, though, is the tackling part. He is so right on with that. JT, I can't tell you how many times on Sunday I want to text you about how bad guys are wrapping up. They're just trying to go for the kill shot, the big blast, you know, throwing their shoulder into someone. Wrap up. That's why you have all of these 70-yard receptions because it's a five-yard slant pass and no one knows how to tackle. They're trying to blow them up on the slant. Next thing you know, they're the one injured with a shoulder injury and the guy 70 yards downfield for a touchdown. It is atrocious how bad in the NFL that they've come to tackle it is all shoulders, no wrapping up. They're not keeping their head up at all. It, it, it's, it's really just a bad sight to see. Um, but, again, I think Bo went a little bit too far. Yeah, with he went too far. I agree yeah, he went too far. I agree with you on a tackling aspect, but here's the flip side to that. Yeah, it's worse tackling, but guys get there faster in groups. So, I guess it just depends on what he can do. Because Derrick Henry, nobody could tackle him, but he ain't exactly blowing up the all-purpose yardage every single game. Well, Bo's, I would have to say Bo is a little bit better athlete than Derrick Henry and faster. So that that's a big Yeah, difference. for sure. I got you on that. That's a big difference. Okay, so are you ready for the NFL preview? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so as usual, we're going to take a look at the upcoming week. I want to know what games and storylines you guys are looking forward to most. What do you think, Donato? So, JT, I'm going to do three. I have four, but I'm going to leave one for you because I have a feeling you have it on your list, and I don't want to steal your thunder on it. So, I got to say, JT, not too many games jump out this week. It's kind of a down week in college and NFL. I disagree. I think it's the complete opposite. I have five that I'm really excited about. Well, I have four. Like I said, I'm going to leave the one for you. If you don't clean it up, I'll come back. But off the top, Steelers-Ravens. Let's get to it. That's the big one this week. doesn't get any better than that. It, and it doesn't get any bigger for the division uh, lead. I'm interested in two things there. How did the Steelers do against Lamar Jackson? Because 
they had some success when he threw last year against them. But then the Steelers, when they really needed the win that last week of the year, lost to RG3. They struggled against that offense um, in terms of the Steeler defense. So I'm interested to see how they take care of him there. And then I'm really interested to see if this Steeler offense is as legit as we think because they have so many weapons. They've looked really, really good the last three games, JT. I want to see what they can do against this awesome this awesome Ravens defense especially the front well we definitely have the same one for that so I'll just chime in real quick I agree with you on all your points I think the thing that I want to see in that game is how your defense can contain Lamar without Devin Bush in the game I think that's a big deal that's also I want to see for I'm assuming that Deontay Johnson and everybody is healthy I want to see can the Ravens corners really live up to their reputation and lock all of them down because to lock Deontay, Chase Claypool, and Juju, and James Washington down, that's not an easy task, even though you have a talented Ravens secondary. So that's going to be a hell of a battle. We got to scheme them open then. Um, Raiders versus Browns. This is a sneaky game, JT. Listen, I've been on the Raiders and the Browns kind of all year picking their games. This is a sneaky type of game, all right? I know it's in Cleveland. Weather might not be great. But this game, the winner here, will definitely get a leg up on the other team in terms of playoff uh, possible position. So that is a big game for both teams because the loser may start to be seeing themselves on the way out of the playoffs. And then 49ers, Seahawks. Seahawks need to make a statement here, but so do the Niners. We forget. We think, oh, the, you know, the Niners lost. They're not going to be as good. They've had a bunch of injuries. JT, they're starting to get going. They're starting to roll like last year. I agree. And this, and this is the game. Which team is going to take that next step? Are we going to see the Seahawks lose two in a row? Or the Niners going to say, not so fast. It's still our division. We're still the cream of the crop in this division. And the Niners put themselves back near the top here. All right. So I'll just run through mine really quick because, I, like I said, I disagree with you. I think this is a very exciting week. One game I don't think anybody's talking about is the Lions versus the Colts. I want to see can the 3-3 three and three Lions sneak and get a win against the Colts and get above 500 because everybody's saying that Matt Patricia should be fired. I'm, I was really shocked that people don't know that they're a 500 team right now. Then, of course, I think you were saving the Tua debut for me. I want to see how Tua does in his first debut for the Dolphins, but I also want to see can he survive Aaron Donald. So if he can make it through that, I think the future is bright for the kid. Uh, Another game, I don't know if this will remain the Sunday night game. I don't understand why they haven't flexed it yet, but it's Philly versus the Cowboys. (laughs) It's a funny game because you just think the Eagles should win, but I think Dallas with Danucci has a chance, and it's just the way the players are talking about him in practice. But the the real thing that's going to be interesting about this game is the winner goes the winner of this game goes to three wins on the year, and then they go to the top of the division. So sad but exciting. And then yeah, it's for I the division. See, I want to see does Michael Thomas finally play, and if he does not play in this game that starts to worry me that he really might get traded before the deadline next week. Okay. So maybe maybe a little bit better than I admitted at first. Okay. Dude, this this week is filled with serious storylines. Come on. But the but the primetime games are not very good. Atlanta, Carolina, like you said Dallas and uh Philly and then the Monday night games the Giants again against Tampa Bay. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, and then what about let's go to our weekend prediction section. So, Everyone's favorite. <laughs> is that a joke? No, don't you, you listen right? to yes. the show, oh. Nicole? Yes, yes, it is on the Cincinnati. It's a total well, joke. Not, well, I don't know if you if you got a bad feedback about this, or you is, is somebody always wrong? He won't listen about feedback. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so anyway, um, Ohio State at Penn State. Who's winning this one, Donato? I'm gonna go. Ohio State. Too pretty, easy. Pretty clear. Yep. Too easy. Ohio State. Yeah. Okay. What about Steelers at Ravens? Who you got? Oh, I hate doing this, JT. Do it. I know you were going to pick the same team. I got to uh, go Ravens. I got to yes. go Ravens. Wow. Yes. Thank you. Because he knows they're better. I got the Ravens too. They're my Super Bowl pick. So I got to roll with them. Okay. Okay. And then what about 49ers at Seahawks? And going back to Steelers, Ravens, JT. I'm not saying the Ravens are better, but they're playing at home. Bro, right? it's weekend prediction. No Devin Bush. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Ravens. 49ers at Seahawks. I can't I can't just abandon Russ right now. This is what he needs me most. Russ and the Seahawks show whose division that is. Yeah, I'm going with the Seahawks. I think Russ is gonna explode this game, especially after the way the game ended against the Cardinals on Sunday night. Did we literally agree? Wow. Yes, we picked all, all the three? same ones. And oh, shit. my goodness. I know. I am too. <laughs> well, damn, you, you put some really you, I, easy I choices in now. here. <laughs> if you guys are, are wrong, I'm going to have to come back. leave a bad review. Uh, whoa, whoa, never do that. <laughs> Fans, don't listen to Nicole. Just, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We'll have to just have I already you back. already left one. We'll, oh, wow. We'll have to have <laughs> you back on, Nicole. Um, once you give us a good review, we'll, we'll have you back on. JT. And Nicole, before we go, Nicole, this is more for JT, so don't don't feel pressured to answer. But JT, with with the World Series going on and now NFL in mid swing, I've got a bunch of trivia time questions for you. Some really good ones, and I think you can get most of these. According to him, yeah. this is everyone's favorite section as well. So you see how this goes. It is. Listen, oh. we're everyone's favorite show, so every segment is their favorite. So. <laughs> roll your eyes do you not believe in our show and our product in the brand come anyway on. go ahead and come ask on. me the question come on you're not selling the fans right now this is awful all right so let's go baseball first then we'll go with nfl trivia mookie betts is only the second right fielder in a world series game to have two hits two steals and an rbi in the same game who is the other right fielder Got to go mm. way back. This is the hint. Way back. Like we talking about like prohibition way back or like the nineties. Yeah, prohibition and further back. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, five uh, seconds. Five. Uh, we, need that we need that Jeopardy music. Mickey Mantle. Three, two. Mickey Mantle's a little further back than Mickey. It's Ty Cobb, Ooh. Game Three of the nineteen oh eight World Series. Ah, uh, old reliable Ty. <laughs> All right. On Thursday, Tony LaRussa became manager of the Chicago White Sox at the age of 76, JT. I, sad thing about that is when I saw that, I was like, he's still alive. I did not even know. Whoa, whoa of course he is. He, he's been in the front offices, but he had the itch, he said, to become manager. I don't know if you know this, JT. He was once the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Now he's going back to them. Now, he's 76, JT, second oldest manager ever to manage a team. 
not currently, ever. Do you know who the oldest is? You should know this. I'm is giving it Jim you a hint. You should know it. Oh no! One more guess. You're close. Um, who who's that? The, who was that? The manager of that five, you just said. Four. Joe Torre looks like the oldest one. I would say Ron Washington. I don't know how Three. old he is, but he looks old. <laughs> not bad. Not bad, Nicole. But that's not it. Not bad. Three, two, one. Jack McKeon. Oh, damn. I was definitely going to say him next. Crap. I always get them mixed up. <laughs> it's of the Marlins. Come on, JT. That's oh. your team. Man. See, you're. We making, don't have a manager. Derek Jeter is our manager. You were trying to make a joke. Did Jack McKeon not win a World Series? Pretty sure he did for you guys. Pretty uh, sure he did. He might have even been in his presence. Yeah. See, JT? You never know. So. Which let's let's switch to the football here, JT. Give you a chance. You're struggling today with baseball. Which <laughs> NFL running back has the highest running back rush share this season? So that means he's getting like the most percentage of the rushing yards on of his team. Yep. Don't fail. I feel like this is a trap. I feel like this is a trap it, question because I want to say I want to say Derrick Henry. Five. But four, I'm gonna say it's three. It's either James Conner or Mike. It's got to be James Conner. One. It is James Robinson. Oh! <laughs> That's, on, I, I, br- how, I bring how, that up. I bring that close, up because. How close, is he, how close is he to James Conner? Or how close is he to the next next closest person that has the next highest rush share? I'm not sure. It didn't go that far. Because I feel like that's crazy because there's been some games where he hasn't rushed that much at all. Probably maybe the, the team hasn't rushed. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The team probably <laughs> didn't either that Connor game. gets like 90% of the touches every game. <laughs> well, you got to remember, I believe Connor was injured yeah, at like three quarters of the, the Giants game. I will say this. Shout out shout out to James Robinson, uh, Jaguars undrafted rookie. I, I'm going to give him props because you know how hard that is? He's had a more rushing share than somebody like Derrick Henry where Derrick Henry has played every game and there's been some games where he has been the only active running back on the team for the Titans so shout out to the undrafted rookie there you go taking the backfield over there you go one more football trivia question then we'll wrap up the show another great episode of JT in the dawn which two coaches JT in the Super Bowl era have had the most head-to-head matchups as coaches. So Super Bowl era. Because the all-time is Hallis and Curly Lambeau with 48. That's it? What? You said, say it again? I said pre-Super Bowl era, the answer is Curly Mm -hmm. Lambeau and George Hallis. 48 times. They're the all-time. But so who is I'm the, talking who is the Super, Bowl, of the Super Bowl era of the Super Bowl era. The two coaches that have gone head to head the most. It's either got to be Belichick or Chuck Noll because they've been there a long time. But who's in the division they was coach no. against? Right. It's got to be. Yeah, you got to name. Um, that's where I'm going. So I don't think anybody in the AFC East has been hired long enough to go up against Belichick for 20 years. So I'm going to assume it's not him. It's got to be one of the damn Steelers coaches. Five, four, three. Two, one. Oh, I'm lost. I'm so lost. No guess. No. It's Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh. This is really? going to be their 24th meeting. Yep. 
Damn, 12 time, years. Time goes fast. All right, you got me today. I didn't have any answers for you. <laughs> that was rough. That was rough. Well, thank you to Nicole Thompson. Nicole, thank you again for coming on, leading the way on this show, and moderating between JT and I because we definitely need it. And I don't have to listen to him as much when you're on the show. So thank you. <laughs> great job. JT, another great episode. To the fans, thank you for listening to us. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you find all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And please follow us on social media. Our handle, JT and the Dawn. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, until the next episode, see you. Peace.